You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Scripture. Um, dive into Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. I want to read it first um, and then ask a blessing over God's word. So let's read Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. Paul says, Now this I say, And testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. To put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Father, this is your word. It's not my word, this is your word. So Father, I ask that you would come this morning in the power of your spirit. Ask God that you would Unleash the fury of your love through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So last week, um, we concluded our time together uh, after six weeks in Ephesians 4 7 through 16. Um, spent a long time in those verses. And we concluded our time last week with a call to grow up, right? called to grow up and to no longer be children. And what we remembered last week is that we've studied this book for nearly a year, right? We devoted 38 sermons uh, to the themes of who you are in Christ Jesus, as well as what it means to walk in holiness as we follow Christ. It's been the major themes that we've spent the last year in 38 sermons um, thinking and dialoguing about. The challenge last week, uh, as we looked at that final portion of that text, uh, was to speak and to hear the truth in love and to submit wholeheartedly and to surrender to Christ. We also considered what it meant to grow up in a growing community. And, And alongside of that, we also considered Joshua's call to Israel, right? Do you remember that? We consider Joshua's call to Israel to choose you this day whom you will serve. And then in conclusion, last week we also considered the response of Israel because the response of Israel is important because it reminds us of what our responses are like when God calls out to us. We considered the response of Israel as they agreed to serve the Lord wholeheartedly. And then we considered for a moment Joshua's reply to them. His reply was, 
no, I don't think so. Don't trust you. Um, I believe that you're going to turn in rebellion again soon. And so what he did was he set up a rock, right? Set up a rock in their midst that neither breathes nor hears anything. And he set it up as a witness against Israel should they ever decide to turn in rebellion and serve other gods. This was last week. The call to us last week was to grow up, to no longer be spiritual children, but instead become spiritual adults who choose to serve the Lord daily. And, and then what we have is we have this rock right here, right? I, um, afterwards, a few of you were really encouraging. We're like, Joe, you should probably get a rock and just set up. So I went outside this morning, found this rock, put the date on it, put the challenge on the bottom, and uh, drew some other things on there. My creativity isn't the greatest, but it's just the best that I can do. But one of the things I'll tell you, aside from my notes, is that I found this rock outside and it was covered in dirt this morning. So I was, I took it inside and I, and I had it, I was, it was, it was, had it in the sink, some hot water running on it. And I was like scrubbing it off with, uh, uh, with one of those Brillo pads. And, um, and as I'm scrubbing it off, I mean, I, I got, I got this vision. Um, and, and as the dirt washed away, and as the red brick became more um, clear, um, just got this picture, like this is what Jesus does to us, right? Picks us up out of the dirt, the rock of my salvation, the rock of your salvation, picks us up out of the dirt, takes us in, washes us clean, washes that dirt off, and then then makes this brand new person come out from underneath all that muck and all that mire of our lives. And so I'm just thinking about that as I'm washing that brick off, and I'm like, man, Jesus, you're so good. This is what you did for me. This is what you do for us. And then then I saw these five holes on the brick, which um, may mean nothing else other than it is a building brick and it has five holes in it but the thing that I think the Lord brought to my attention is it has five holes in it and there were five holes in Jesus five holes in Jesus that day on the cross one in each foot one in each hand and one in his side the rock of your salvation if you know him the rock of my salvation that's what he did for you and I so if you hear nothing else this morning, and whatever you do hear this morning, I pray that you would hear it through that lens, that the rock of your salvation went the distance for you. Five holes in him, and he died a horrible death so that you and I could have the gift of being together today, celebrating, hearing the truth of the gospel, responding to the message of the gospel. So please hear that. A rock is set up in our midst now to remind us, um, those of us who heard that message, um, to remind us of that message of the gospel. It's to remind us of what Jesus did for us. to remind us of what he calls us to. It's to remind us of who he calls us when he looks at each of us. I did say last week, and I'll say again, last week was a fearful sermon for me to preach um, on a number of different levels. It was confrontational. It was clear. But I want you to know, too, I needed to hear that message. I needed to hear that. I I needed to prepare that message. I, I needed the Lord to come and to deal with me in some areas of fear and insecurity. And I needed to hear him say to me, and choose you this day whom you will serve. Will you serve me or will you serve your fear? I needed to hear him say that to me. Um, 
I need to be reminded that God has called me away from serving my fear like a fatherless child. I need to be reminded that he's called me to serve him in the strength and the courage of a blood-bought son of God. That's what I needed to hear. I don't know what you heard. I pray that the Lord will continue to use it to speak to you. Now this week, um, as we look at our passage for today, um, we see that Paul's concern is once again straightforward and clear, right? Like Paul doesn't mince his words, doesn't pull his punches. Love this dude, can't wait to meet him. Um, I know that he's intimidating with his words. I know he's intimidating with his look too, because apparently in the book of Acts, he can look at somebody and be like, silence, blindness. And dude goes blind. Stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord, you enemy of all unrighteousness. And I mean, it's like, whoa. Paul's, Paul's going to be fun to meet. Can't wait. Straightforward and clear. Um, I think he's concerned here that there are people in the church at Ephesus who would call themselves Christians, but then do not live like it, right? I think that's his concern as I look at this passage. He's concerned for the Ephesian church, right? And I think his concern is born out of two really deep desires that he has. I think these two deep desires are what motivates and drives Paul to say the things that he says. Number one, first desire, I think that he has that the name of Christ would be honored and lifted high. And then secondly, I think his second desire is is that he desires the best for the people in the church of Ephesus. He wants Christ to be honored on the one hand, and he wants the best for the people in the church on the second hand. Those are the two motivating desires that I think are underneath everything that Paul says. And I think that you can feel and hear and just see like those desires seeping off the pages uh, when, when you hear Paul pray. And when you read his two prayers earlier in this letter, in, in, in chapter 1 and in chapter 3, I think you, you hear it, you see it, you feel it, you experience it. If you want to hear a man's heart, to listen to the content of his prayers. Then use those prayers as filters for, for his thoughts, his words, and his actions. And this leads me to uh, the Joshua, back to the Joshua, and then slash Judges connection, which you're going to probably find with me for a while. So there will be some overlaying of some Old Testament stuff into the New because we really should be reading kind of both together and trying to interpret in the light of Jesus. And there just seems to be so much that fits well. Not to mention that in my personal devotional life, this is just where I've been. And I'm just seeing these things come alive. Um, so Paul's concern for the Ephesians, uh, it reminds me again of Joshua's concern for the people of Israel, right? If you do a quick study of Joshua, what you're going to find is that his challenge last week that we that we kind of kept thinking about, this, this challenge to choose you this day whom you will serve. That challenge from Joshua, man, it comes, comes right before his death. It comes, comes right there before the end of the book of Joshua. And, and here's the interesting thing. The book that immediately follows Joshua is the book of Judges. Uh, the book of Judges is, is a history book. Okay? It, it basically chronicles the years of Israel's um, um, promise to serve God alone. It just comes right after. It's, it's a history of what does Israel do after this moment? It's like part two, right? Part one is, yeah, we choose wholeheartedly. We see the rock in our midst and we're going. And then you read Judges. It tells you how that chronicles out. It's really, it's a deeply concerning book to read. Really. 
concerning to read because the theme of the book is actually centered around hundreds of years of ups and downs and ups and downs with the people of Israel. And the reason for the concern, the reason for the ups and downs is the theme of Judges. You'll find it in the book of Judges. The theme of the book of Judges is that every person in Israel did what was right in their own eyes rather than doing what was right according to God's word. It's really, it's a, that's my um, summary of what uh, God says in the book of Judges, but it really is the core theme. Everyone's doing what is right in their own eyes rather than doing what is right according to God's word. They were foolish. They walked in darkness. They lived apart from the presence of God. Their hearts were hardened towards God's word. They, they lived in reckless pursuit of satisfying their every desire. Every person did what was right in their own eyes instead of doing what was right in accordance with God's word. This appears to me, as I'm looking at this, to be similar to the concerns that Paul has for the Ephesians. I think he's concerned that the Ephesians are infatuated with foolishness. He's concerned that the Ephesians would walk in darkness. He's concerned that the Ephesians would live separated from the presence of God. I think he's concerned that the Ephesians would have hearts that are hardened to the word of the Lord. I think he's concerned that, that the Ephesians would recklessly pursue every pleasure of the world, right? While, while just dressing things up in moralism. And Paul's concerned that God's people are still doing what they think is right in their own eyes rather than doing what is right according to God's word in light of the furious love of Christ in the cross. That's his concern. I have the same concerns for us here at the well. Concerned that we could be people that are infatuated with foolishness concerned that we would walk in darkness. I'm concerned that we would walk in deception while claiming to walk in the light. I'm concerned that, that we could claim to have a relationship with Jesus while living day to day totally alienated or separated from God as if he is a far off, impersonal, and inaccessible being. That's my, that's my concern coming from this text. I, I'm concerned that, that some of you hearing this message today might think that you have the Lord fooled with your religious activity, but, it, but in reality, like your hearts are hardened against him, hardened towards him because of the deception that lurks around in your heart. I'm concerned that some of you don't just live your lives foolishly while rejecting biblical wisdom, but you actually live in reckless private and public pursuit of gratifying your sinful desires. That's, that's my concern. My concern is that we would become like much of the American and Western church today that looks really good on Sundays and maybe on Wednesdays if you happen to grace the doors of a gospel community. But then in between, we would just live recklessly. concerned that you would live your life doing what is right in your own eyes rather than doing what is right according to the word of God. And I'm concerned about this because I see patterns of the old life in us as a church family. 
see patterns of the old life in us where there should be patterns of the new life. Some of us are known to be careless and foolish in the way that we handle romantic relationships. Which is something that the world is known for and the church should not be known for. Some of us are known for walking in darkness in the ways that we handle handle, um, entertainment and money. Some of us are known to be deceptive and naive, careless in the ways that we approach sexual sin. Some of us are known to be insensitive to the commands of God, calloused to the commands of God, unfeeling to the commands of God that really are designed to keep us safe and healthy. Some of us are known as people who still walk in the patterns of our old lives. So what's God's word to us today through this passage? What would God say to us in the midst of that? I think God's word to us today through Paul is that we must no longer walk in the patterns of our old life if, in fact, we can authentically claim to have a new life at all. I think God is calling us to put on the clothing of our new lives, right? Those are the two things. No longer walk in the patterns of your old life. Put on the clothing of your new life. Verses 17 through 19, Paul says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have they've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now, now, now when Paul says that we must no longer walk in the patterns of our old lives. What he's doing is he's insisting on something. He's actually making a a strong statement. He's not just saying, you know, guys, my opinion is this. No, he's saying, I insist on this. How do you know that he insists on this? How do you know he's making an insistent type of a word, not just a, hey, this is kind of what I think in this relativistic, like, postmodern society where everybody can just believe whatever the heck you want to believe? How do we know that? Well, I think we know that because he clearly says this is the testimony or the word of the Lord. Like the word of the Lord is not just an opinion. He's insisting. I insist. If the Ephesian church rejects what he is saying, they're not just rejecting a mere man, man. They're, they're rejecting the very words of God in a very real sense. If they reject what Paul is saying, then they're choosing this day to continue walking like the Gentiles do in the patterns of their old lives. Now, in this, in this context, when Paul uses the image of the Gentiles, he's using it in a negative way, okay? He's using it in a negative way to stir up the emotions and the thoughts of his audience. He wants to stir them up. The Gentiles were known to be pagans who did not follow Christ. Now, don't hear me wrong. There, there were definitely Gentile believers. Paul would call himself an apostle of the Gentiles kind of churches among the Gentiles. So there were definitely Gentile believers, but by and large, the image of a Gentile for a Jewish Christian would be the image of an unbeliever who walked in foolishness and walked in darkness and walked in separation from God and walked in ignorance of the hope that is found in Christ and then also walked with hearts of stone that were hardened against the ways of God and walked in reckless pursuit of anything just anything that would satisfy their sin-filled senses because they were dull. They were calloused, unsensing, unfeeling towards the presence of God. 
should seek to satisfy their sin-filled senses through impure, unholy things. Their necks were stiff. Paul says, you must no longer walk in the patterns of your old life. And I think this is most clearly seen in verse 22. Now, I realize we haven't gotten there yet. We're going to get there in just a minute. But if you, if you skip ahead to verse 22, Paul says that the Ephesian Christians have been taught, you've been taught, to put off your old self. I like changing your clothing. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. See, Paul is relating to the Ephesians under their new identity. That's who you used to be. It belongs to your former manner of life. You're no longer that person, right? You've been taught to put off your old self, your old patterns. Why? Because it belonged to your former manner of life. You have a, a new life. That that old life, that, that old manner of living, that old self that you used to be, it's corrupt through deceitful desires. So put it off. You've been, you've been taught that. He's reminding them. So I think the word of the Lord to you and to I today is to put off our old patterns of foolish living. Have you been living, living foolishly? Would you be willing to admit that? Put off your old pattern of walking in darkness off your old patterns of walking in separation from God. Put off your old patterns of being ignorant of the hope that we have in Christ. Put off your old pattern of hardening your heart against the word of the Lord. Plug in your ears. La la la. I can't hear you. Put that off. Put off your old pattern of recklessly seeking to satisfy your sin-filled senses and your deceitful desires. Put that off. It's the word of the Lord to you and I today is that we must no longer walk in the patterns of your old life. Now here's the interesting piece of this. None of us in this room can do that. None of us can do it. So that makes us feel really impossible, doesn't it? Joe, you just told me to go do it, and now you're telling me I can't do it. Why am I listening to you preach? I don't know. Only the Lord could do that, right? So, hang with me. Number two, you must put on the clothing of your new life. In verse 20 through 24, Paul says, you must no longer walk in the patterns of your old life. That's the summary of the first few verses. Because, verses 20 through 24, that is not the way you learn Christ. Now he gives us the motivation and the reason why we should put away our old patterns. Because it's not the way you learn Christ. Well, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God. This is an image bearer issue right here. After the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Side note, like, when you and I were created, we were created in God's perfect image, and then it started with Adam and Eve. Sin enters, they eat the apple. Lots of snide comments and remarks can be made there, but they ate the apple, and, and the image was broken. Shattered glass, shattered mirror. The image that you now see in the mirror is broken. This is why you and I are broken. This is why you and I can't do this. This is why you and I can't listen to the first part of this message and say, yeah, I'll do it, and then walk out and actually do it this week. 
This is why we need a rock in our midst to remind us that we have a Savior that went to the cross to do what we could not do, which then motivates us to do what we cannot do because His power now lives inside of us and we can live in victory. And what that sounds like is, you just use a lot of words to tell me to go do what I cannot do. Yeah, that's the miracle of faith. That's the miracle of faith. That you and I would do what we cannot do. And when you see a brother or sister not doing what they cannot do, then it means that they're not connected to the life-giving source named Jesus, the rock of our salvation. The Spirit of God is not doing that work in that person yet. And the prayer is, God, please save that person. Walk them out of darkness. Give them a brand new heart. Remove the foolishness. Give them wisdom. Take the weakness away and give them strength through the indwelling presence of your Holy Spirit. That's the gospel making change inside of us so that we can now put on the clothing of our new lives. Paul reminds us here, reminds us that our old patterns of foolishness and darkness and hardness and ignorance and distance and recklessness, man, they're not the way we learned Christ. They're not. Not the way we learned Christ. That is, if we've actually learned Christ. Here's the thing, learning Christ if you were to skip past this too fast, you might not catch that learning Christ is not merely learning about Christ. Being able to say, yeah, all these cool little facts, and I went to Sunday school all my life, and did the flannel board stuff, and did the little cardboard cutouts, and those things are great, don't hear me wrong, I'm being snarky on purpose. Because then we treat the Christian life like it's child's play for the rest of our lives. That's part of the problem. It's not that we have Sunday school, it's just that Adults failed to grow up after what they learned. They learned about rather than learning in person. This is not about learning about. It's about learning Christ. And learning Christ is to receive Christ directly from Christ himself. Can you imagine a man on his wedding day? I can tell you so much about this woman. Blonde hair, hazel eyes. Short, five foot three. <laughs> she's, she's adorable. A great laugh. She, she dances to like music and commercials in the funniest ways. <laughs> right? Imagine a husband who could tell you that, but then, then just never, never actually spent time in her presence. He'd just tell you the same story over and over again, the same Sunday school stories, cookie cutter stories. Look, look what I know about her. But do you really know her? Receive Christ directly from Christ himself. Learning Christ is to be taught in Christ as the truth is in Christ, Paul says. So learning Christ is to literally experience the presence and the voice of Jesus speaking the truth into our foolishness. To hear Christ speaking the truth into our darkness is to have him actually experientially and relationally bring the presence of himself into the foolishness and the darkness and the hardness and the ignorance and the distance that is between us and him. And left to yourself, my friends, you and I would only make war against him. Yet, as his enemies, he takes steps towards us. 
direct steps of love. Reckless from our point of view. Because you and I don't take steps of love towards our enemies. We self-protect. Jesus steps into our ignorance, steps into our distance, steps into our recklessness. See, when Jesus comes to a person, when he comes to you and me, when he saves us, he, t- he takes up residence deep down inside of us, and, and our hearts become brand new. He, he takes away the old heart of stone, the hardened heart that we had. He gives us a, a brand new heart of flesh that now hears from Jesus personally. When was the last time you heard from Jesus personally? And then can I ask a follow-up question? When was the last time you sought him? Seek Christ with all that you have. Why? Because he came to seek you when you were his lost enemy. Seek him with all that you have. Beg him to speak to you. See, in the experience of learning Christ from the Spirit's work deep within the hallways of the heart, then you and I are enabled to put on the clothing of wisdom instead of foolishness. We're able to put on the clothing of light instead of darkness. We're able to put on softness instead of hardness. And truth and knowledge instead of ignorance. And nearness of relationship instead of distance. And then then newness instead of recklessness. This is what it means to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. This is what it means to put on the clothing of the new life. So you might be hearing this, you might, you might say, so, okay, great. You told me I can't do it. You told me there is a way to do it in Christ. Um, how do we apply this? How does this change me and you walking out of here? What do I need to believe? And what do I need to obey? What, what do you need to believe and what do you need to obey? How, how is your belief system and your obedience being strengthened and transformed in this message? Like, like if you're hearing this message today, the Spirit of God is convicting you that you've been one who's been walking out the old patterns of your life and you have not put on the new clothing of the new life. Then what do you need to believe and obey? You know you've been walking according to what is right in your own eyes. Rather, rather than walking in obedient, trust God's word. What are some ways that you and I can believe and obey his word moving forward? So really, it's a really application is a, is a really touchy place um, because application can be abused so, so badly. Like, just make you feel really good or really bad depending on how you communicate the application, okay? So I lean towards making you feel really, really bad. Just get that elephant out in the room so that it's clear. It's my struggle. So I'm always asking the Lord, please help me to soften and encourage. And, um, and so there are others who are really light and fluffy and like, oh, you can do this. It's all like rainbows and unicorns and that's what Christian life is all about. No, well, okay. So I always struggle with how do I make application points that don't just feel like go do these five things and you'll be good with Jesus. So just so you know, I, I can't dissolve that tension in front of you. I just let it out there and let you know. And let the Spirit of God use these in your life. Number one, put on the wisdom of Christ instead of walking in foolishness. Simple. Put on the wisdom of Christ instead of walking in foolishness. Put on the mind of Christ. Take every thought captive to the Word of God. 
So the word of God is mighty for the pulling down of strongholds, demonic strongholds. It's mighty for the uprooting of sinful roots in our lives. See, every step that you and I take in our romantic relationships, in our, our entertainment choices, in our budgeting decisions, in our use of time, it must be submitted to the wisdom of Christ instead of the foolishness of our own thoughts. We must begin to ask, Jesus, is this in line with what is wise according to your word? Or is this in line with just, I don't know, foolish thoughts? Number two, put on the truth of Christ instead of walking in ignorant darkness. Put on the truth of Christ instead of walking in ignorant darkness. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And in him, there is light. And if we claim to walk with him while we walk in darkness, then we have no relationship with him whatsoever. We've deceived ourselves, and we treat God like he's a liar. The truth is not some mere piece of knowledge that we come to know conceptually in our head. The truth, the truth is a person, and his name is Jesus, and he says that if we know the truth personally, we will be set free from stumbling around in ignorant darkness. So, so listen, every step that you take in darkness as it relates to your romantic relationships... Every step you take in darkness as it relates to your financial expenditures. Every step you take in darkness as it relates to your late night addictions. Every step you take in darkness as it relates to the thoughts and the fantasies you entertain. Every step you take in darkness as it relates to the isolation from others that you've created. And that will lead you into what? Not the light will lead you into further darkness. And what you and I need to do is to constantly make war against the ignorant darkness within us by bringing every thought, every intention, every desire of our hearts into the light of the presence of Christ where the darkness goes to die. some of you that are doing this. There are some of you that are doing this. And you just need to hear not so much that, hey, like, God's proud of you because you're doing the right thing, because that's going to lead us down a bunny trail that's called legalism. You just need to hear that God is so pleased with you because of the work of Christ at the cross. You've been made righteous. You've been made holy. He's placed his spirit inside of you and empowered you to bring all of that junk inside of you out into the light where the darkness goes to die. You're not doing that in your own strength. You're a weak person just like me, but you're doing this because of God. God is doing that work in you, and therefore you can praise him. Just put on the truth of Christ instead of walking in ignorant darkness. Number three, Put on union with Christ instead of walking distantly from God. Scriptures tell us in James, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. He will lift you up. <coughs> this is honestly the explicit promise of the cross throughout God's word. But the problem is that instead of doing the hard work, listen, instead of doing the hard work of drawing near to the creator. Here's what we do. We, we work hard. Here's what we're conditioned to do. Here's the old patterns of our lives that are so set in that it just feels normal. And in fact, if you try to put on new clothes, it feels really uncomfortable because the old patterns of your life feel comfy. Instead of doing the hard work of drawing near to the creator, I man, we've been conditioned 
to work really hard to draw near to His creation. We believe that God's creation is the answer to all that our hearts long for. More money, more sex, more love, more job security, more popularity, more influence, more respect, more friends. We spend more time drawing near to creation than drawing near to the Creator. And what this leads to is distance from our Heavenly Father who loves us. And all those things that we've been conditioned to chase for so, so, so long. And Jesus is standing here offering brand new clothes to all of us, right? Ready to wash us clean. In fact, I've already done it if you trusted him. Oh, all those things, man, they're cheap substitutes. Personally, I hate substitute food. I don't know if anybody else in here would be like, yeah, I want a fake steak. If you do, we should have a talk afterwards. Okay. Some of you health food people are going to come tackle me afterwards. I see this already. Anyways, I, it could be a bad analogy. Anyways, um, man, all those things are cheap substitutes for the only one who makes good on his promises. He's the only one that's going to make good on that promise to satisfy you. Because every substitute that you and I chase for satisfaction that won't actually give satisfaction is going to lead to what? Further unsatisfaction. Hey, here's the thing. Like, you won't know this. Like, you, you're going to walk out of here today knowing this in your head. You've taken some notes, hopefully. You're going to walk out of here and go, man, like, I feel like I've been set free. My, my brain has been stretched. <laughs> stretched. Good. My, my prayer is that your heart would be stretched and that you would experience this. Like, deep down inside, in, in, a, in, in, a, in a personal and in a very relational way. You won't know this that way until you draw near to him who has promised to draw near to you. You won't know this in a, in a keeping way, in a stabilizing way, in a maturing way until you draw near to him who actually lives deep down inside of you until you open those places of your heart and you let him in. If you keep hiding behind your chasing of creation You'll distance yourself from the Creator. Number four, put on a renewed, sensitive spirit instead of walking with a hardened, calloused heart. And God gives us brand new hearts, right? When we trust in Him, it's just brand new hearts. Those brand new hearts come with brand new affections, brand new desires. We're, we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. But hey, here's the thing if we're not careful, our hearts can become hardened. By ongoing sin and foolishness, continue to walk in sin, continue to walk in foolishness. And the interesting thing about foolishness is it's kind of like, well, you know, I mean, it's really not that bad. I mean, it's not as bad as what I used to do. It's not, not really as bad as what that other guy is doing. So, I mean, it, yeah, it could be foolish, but that's what we do. C.S. Lewis likens it to a lizard on our shoulders. I think the book is called The Great Divorce. Somebody might correct me. Okay. Um, that lizard's like speaking into your ear like, oh, don't say the word to the angel because the angel's going to kill me. What would you do without me? Like, it's not as bad as it used to be. I know sometimes I get over the limit sometimes when I'm telling you what to do. I, I won't go that far anymore. Like, we, we have this conversation inside. The lizard just attached to us. What we need is the word of the Lord to come in like a big hot knife. 
slice the head off that lizard, right? Um, become hardened by sin and sin and foolishness. Like, God's word is full of warnings, full of instructions, how to walk out the Christian life in repentance and wisdom. And when we ignore those instructions, when we reject biblical wisdom, our hearts become insensitive, hardened to the voice of God, calloused, unfeeling. When we reject biblical wisdom, when we justify our foolishness, and our hearts become more prone to sinful patterns of our old lives again. We become, again, callous to God's word, insensitive to God's spirit, more sensitive to sin, you could say. And the reality is that we must constantly restrain our desires, constantly ask the Lord to renew a right spirit within us, constantly help him to, ask him to help us to walk in wisdom and righteousness. Like, listen, listen, the church is full today especially in, in, in the Western church, full of people who have hardened their hearts against the Lord. And they've justified their foolishness, justified their sinfulness with arguments against legalism. And, and though we do need to be careful not to communicate a works-based righteousness, which is righteousness earned by good works, but we've got to be equally as careful not to live in licentiousness, which is a perversion of grace that enables sin and foolishness. Perversion of grace is not grace at all. <clears throat> We need to be sensitive to our weaknesses and our wounds and our sinfulness. We need to seek God's word for strength, healing, and repentance instead of hardening our hearts against the Lord as well as hardening our hearts against his servants who attempt to help us walk rightly. Again, like the most common places of application, here's the thing for us, I, I think a lot of times we're like, yeah, we want application, but don't give me application that actually touches me where I'm at today. Like, give me an application that, like, deals with will. Okay? <laughs> like, not me. But if you would say something that I know the will is going through, that would make me feel just peachy keen and comfy. Yeah, exactly. Right? Uh, don't give me an application that's going to deal with me right where I'm at, right? But you don't have to live in America for very long to know that the most common areas of application for us should be our romantic relationships. Okay? Personally, we should apply it there. And our entertainment choices, and our money management issues, and our career paths, and our possessions. Like, real nuts and bolts. Like, we've got to work hard to have hearts that are sensitive and inquisitive about how to handle those moral and ethical issues of our day. We must not give in to a go-it-alone attitude. I'm going to go it alone because I don't like what that guy or that gal said. Heaven forbid that somebody would like rub me the wrong way. Put on a renewed, sensitive spirit instead of walking with a hardened heart. Number five, almost done. Put on righteousness and holiness instead of walking in reckless pursuit of your sin-filled wants. Now, on the front edge of this last piece, the reality is that if you're in Christ, holiness is right and righteousness is what you are. You are holy. You are righteous. Holy means set apart. Righteous means perfect. Both of those are yours, and in fact, both of those are titles for who you are. So the encouragement that Paul's given us here really is to live out of that. But when God calls you to follow him, he calls you to take up your cross by faith, follow him in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which you have been called. This, this is the essence of righteousness and holiness in a practical way as it's worked out in our lives. 
So identity, who we are, we are righteous and we are holy. Therefore, God comes and says, hey, be holy as I am holy. Now we can walk based upon who we are. Sounds easy. Not. But it is to be like Christ in every desire, every thought, every step of our lives. Like we should strive to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. Yes, because it is the Lord who does the work of saving and sanctifying us, which is to make us holy. Sanctification is the continual cleaning up and maturing of people. Okay. <clears throat> happens to the message of the cross. Listen, Christ- Christian brothers and sisters should not be known for their reckless pursuit of romantic love. We should not be known for that in the church. Okay. We should be known for patiently seeking the voice of the Lord through his written word, in prayer, and in community before making our moves. Because in romantic relationships, that's what we do. We make moves. And we should ask the Lord to move. Speak to us before we make that move. That's what we should do. Christian parents should be known for teaching and training up their children in the ways of the Lord rather than letting their children rule their homes with every desire and complaint and rampage, right? Christian homes should be known for their wisdom and money management, generosity of the church, and their their community instead of selfishness and careless spending. Christian men and women who struggle with addictions of all kinds should be known for their high levels of accountability, their even higher levels of boundaries, as well as the serious attitude with which they make war on their weakness and their sin. Like a pornography addict should have all sorts of restrictions on their devices. An alcoholic should not be frequenting alcohol-serving establishments alone. Just, these are practical. These are base-level things. Like if we live by anything less than those standards of holiness and righteousness, then I think what you find is that we walk in foolishness then. And we try to like spice it up with our religious activity. Right? Well, I went to church twice this month. We must put on righteousness and holiness instead of walking in reckless pursuit of satisfying our every want. So I think that's, like, that's all the implications, more than implications of the text, some application pieces for us. For me, the sermon doesn't feel complete still. I've wrestled with that for the last couple of days. Um, I think that Paul would insist on everything that I've said today. Um, I think the entirety of the Bible would insist on everything I've said. I think that you and I could insist on all of this with confidence that this is the word of the Lord instead of what is just right in our own eyes. I think, I think, we, can, I think we could stand confidently on that. The word of the Lord to us today is that we must no longer walk in the patterns of our old lives. We must put on the clothing of our new lives in Christ. We must trade foolishness for wisdom, right? Ignorant darkness for truth and light. Distance for nearness, hardness for sensitivity, recklessness for righteousness and holiness. The question is, are you willing to make that leap? Will you make that trade? Will you continue to do what is right in your own eyes? So kind of ended there. I had some other thoughts. I'm going to keep you guys a little bit longer. Will you make that trade, right? Wow, thanks, Pastor, for beating us up and telling us to make the trade when we really don't want to be one thought or it could be another thought of like thanks for beating the crap out of us today and, and if I do take that and respond rightly then God will love me more ah, God, you know. 
So I want you to see yourself, and I want you to see God in this, like, this big picture of, man, like the grand narrative of the scriptures, right? Um, see, I know, uh, I know a Savior, right? His name is Jesus. I think the thing about Jesus is Jesus got a jacked up marriage. Got a jacked up marriage, right? Anybody ever read the book of Hosea? The problem for you and I is we tend to think that we're like Hosea. Everybody else is Gomer. Cannot believe that prostitute of a wife, right? That's the problem, I think, when we read scriptures a lot of times. Um, reality about Jesus is like when Jesus when Jesus found his bride she was and is pretty jacked up and yet at the same time he dies on the cross to make her perfect and clean if you read that story of Hosea man you just I'm stealing a little bit from Tim Keller on this so I'm not plagiarizing but um, he just paints this picture of Hosea's wife like she, she just continuously goes out starts off small one little indiscretion at first one little sexual sin. Going to stay at this one guy's house. Do my thing there. God continuously tells Hosea, like, man, go get your wife back. Just bring her back home. So Hosea goes and he gets her, brings her back. Pattern just continues. Old patterns of the old life. More darkened, more ignorant, more, more distant. Finally, there's this scene um, like at the apex of the book, right, or like the highlight of the book, I think. She's, she's done this to herself over and over and over again. It's got worse and worse and worse every time. She's standing in the middle of the city now. It's no longer this private thing that's been taking place. It's no longer just sneaking around in the back alley in the dark. It's no longer just pretending anymore. You can't because it's all out in front of everybody in the whole world. She's standing in the middle of the city market square on auction block. Steps up on the auction block. She's selling herself into sexual slavery. Because the heart has become so hard and it's so cold. I just imagine her, if you want to, close your eyes and imagine what that must feel like to have given into the old patterns of your life so much and so often that that little lizard on your shoulder is telling you, you can't live without me. Right? Shame and the guilt and the hurt and the fear all just culminates together. You're standing there in front of everyone and everyone can see you and just little bit by little bit you slip your dress off your shoulder and you strip down in front of everybody because this is what would happen to her. Totally naked in front of everyone and ashamed. Can't figure out how else to move forward. And now you're stuck and you can't get out. And so you can't even look up because you're that ashamed. And you hear the announcer, the auctioneer, and he goes, look at her. You can take her home with you tonight. Who will give me a dollar? She's number 
50 of the day up on that block? Who'll give me two? Who'll give me three? And in that moment, you realize that your identity has become a statistic. You become a number. You're not a person. You don't even have a name. And the shame and the weight and the guilt of all that is setting in. And from somewhere in the audience, you hear a man's voice say, I'll pay for her. I'll pay whatever it takes. And that moment is not just a man that you don't know that's going to take you and hurt you again. It's your husband. That's what Jesus did for you. And he offers you brand new clothes. He offers you a brand new life. Not a fake, trumped up, justified, substitutive version of the old life. You're not a statistic. And the things that have been done against you do not define you. And the things that you've done do not define you. This is what you're defined by. You're defined by a Savior who would step into that crowd and look upon your nakedness and look upon your woundedness and look upon your hurt and say, I love you. Brand new set of clothes. By the way, I've got a name that you never knew you had. Priceless to me, I would give anything for you. What will you do with that image in your head when you leave here today? Let's pray. Father, God, I ask again, as we close our time together today in worship and communion and prayer, that you would continue to unleash the fury of your love on our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.